Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. This is Boris Karpa and this is New Books in Military History. Today we have with us as a special guest, Mr. Justin Jordan, who has written a fairly unique book. A lot of our books, which we see here, are about people's military experience. We do have, we've had memoir books before, but often they are about a combat experience. And uh, Justin's book is a bit different. It's called And Then I Cried, Stories of a Mortuary NCO. And perhaps it would be useful if Justin told us a little bit about it. Justin, welcome to our show. Thank you. I appreciate the time you're taking and having me. Look forward to our conversation. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, So my book is just a retelling of some of the experiences I had as a mortuary non-commissioned officer um, serving both stateside and at deployed location primarily of the the state side casualties and the emotional toll it took on me uh, doing so many of the mortuary affairs. It's um, written in a way that I would like you to kind of stand next to me uh, because I feel uh, it gives the reader an understanding of what those go through when they develop post-traumatic stresses. That's a little bit about the book and uh, how it came about. Well, as I always say on this show, we are creatures of tradition. And one thing which I would like you to drill down on for us is maybe tell us a little bit more about how you've decided to write this book, why you chose to write this. Absolutely. So I spent just over 20 years in the service. Um, in the latter part of my career, um, to the second half of my career, I spent a good amount of time as a mortuary non-commissioned officer in charge. Um, that was anytime anyone passed away on duty, whether it be for any cause, I handled the remains all the way from the point of death, all the way to the point of burial, um, uh, interment, rather. Dealing with the families, the remains, you name it. 
um, you know, it was a very still job. I had to stand there and a lot of times not experience emotion, uh, but I was experiencing emotion and I felt broken because of that. I was grieving the loss of folks or, you know, military brothers and sisters that uh, I didn't know. And it had a, a pretty profound effect on me after years of doing it. So eventually I asked for help. I was sent to a treatment center to get help. Uh, it was more of a, it was a military tiered track program within a larger behavioral health conglomerate. So it was, you know, I felt like I was treated like a prisoner a lot of times in that program when all I did was ask for help. But I did have a really great therapist and uh, she mentioned that my stories had a profound effect on the others in the groups as well as herself. And she felt like it would be a service if I would write this down, share it somehow. And that was kind of the idea, sparked the idea of writing the book. Uh, when I got home from treatment, my uh, career was basically over. Uh, they had asked me, why don't you just work from home? Uh, you're going to a medical board, you know, come in on Fridays, attend a meeting. So I was kind of just relegated to, uh, you know, just go go heal over there, right? That's how I felt, felt thrown away. It's a lot of our military members do. So when I got off duty every day uh, after sitting there waiting on the emails that never came, um, I would start to write. You know, I would handwrite um, this book, just kind of retelling my stories, much like I would do in group therapy or anything that I'd learned while I was at treatment. Um, and then I would, uh, you know, take those stories and read them back to myself while I was looking in the mirror. And I wanted it to invoke in a certain emotion in me. If it didn't, I rewrote it. Then I set those stories to the people that were with me, uh, chapter by chapter, like, hey, did this happen exactly like I'm saying it did? Because sometimes the memory fills in gaps, right? And I wanted to make sure it was as honest as possible to not to disperse the memory of any of the fallen. Uh, and uh, they all came back. Yeah, that's how it happened. So that turned into... Uh, a selection. I ended up meeting a, a gentleman out of the publisher, just leading the service himself, Eric Shaw, who founded Tax 16 Publishing. He read the book and he said, I'd like to publish this for you. And that's how the book came about. Uh, in 2012, it hit the uh, market and been out there ever since. I've had a lot of people comment that it's really helped them. And that's the why. It really is the why I wrote the book in hopes that someone would read it and find a little piece that. They work a lot. So there is something which um, I don't have very much knowledge about. Personally, I don't live in the United States. Um, in my country, we have a somewhat different system. And so uh, maybe some readers also don't know this. Can you tell us what is the difference between a mortuary NCO and somebody who is a civilian and they handle, they work the same in the ritual sphere. What are the unique duties? Absolutely. So um, when you're in a mortuary NCO, you're basically the liaison to the commander um, and to the families of the fallen. Uh, you do whatever's needed to include uh, handling the remains from the point of autopsy uh, ensuring they get to the chosen funeral homes, to overseeing the embalming process, to setting up and inspecting the remains after embalming, 
during embalming the entire process, and then uh, setting up the interment or the burial with honors. That includes transportation for families. Um, so a lot of family interaction as a mortuary non-commissioned hospital, where I think is what the greatest toll on me, um, as well as when they're deployed, and if we lose them downrange, um, making sure that those bodies or those are human, we call them human remains or HR, um, are returned with dignity and respect. Great pains are taken to ensure that every service member that passes downrange or even at stateside is treated with dignity and respect, as if it was one of our actual brothers, like a blood brother, because that's how we feel they are. So uh, just about anything you can think of, including collecting personal effects to giving the general directors, you know, direction on how to process the body, build up different parts that may have been damaged, all of those things. And after a while, that can take its toll on Yes, I can see how it would. And uh, I'm, I'd like to connect these two last questions together because, well, the issue of trauma, the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder and other forms of trauma, it can, obviously it's a big part of your book. And maybe you can tell us just a little bit more about the connection between being able to write down your experiences to retell them in this structured way and maybe helping you heal from some in some in some way from what happened because we have uh, many some of our listeners because of the nature of our show some of our listeners are maybe considering writing their own books some of them have some of our listeners may have their own burdens to carry so maybe you can tell them about your experience uh, as a writer. I know you're also a visual artist. Can you tell us how these things have helped you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, it, it's powerful. For, for me, the treatment that really resonated with me during my treatment was cognitive processing therapy, where I would write down the story, and then we would discuss it and break it down and then find core beliefs that were just not true. A lot of us had that little voice, and uh, a lot of times it's negative. Tell ourselves so. Uh, for me, cognitive processing therapy really worked. Um, uh, you know, I'm an auditory learner, so it just it worked for me because I was able to engage my hands and uh, different things, and I and I'm a, tend to be a more of a creative type. So when I um, would write these things down especially handwriting, was very um, important to me in the process. Uh, typing just didn't feel it. I had to feel it, right, as I was, had to have the physical pain of writing hours, right? And, uh, and then um, having to rewrite something that didn't just look right or, you know, didn't make sense on paper as your hand wrote. Uh, that was part of my healing process because... Once I wrote them down, I could then shut the pages, and that's where they live. That's what I tell myself. And that was, the, um, you know, that's where they live, and I can access them when I want, not the intrusive thoughts that I struggled with for years and so it really helped me kind of reframe it cognitively into a way that was more productive. I write these down, and that's where they live. Um, 
it sounds very odd or, or you know, or, or too simplistic almost, but it, it works for me. Um, uh, and that was what the book represented. That's where those traumas get to live. Now, don't think for a minute that I have forgotten any of them. They just don't get to control me. They live in that book. Um, and that's how I look at it, and it's just a process. Um, a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder is just unprocessed trauma. And I say just, I don't need to, um, you know, put it down or anything like that because I've been struggling with it for years, still struggling to this day, but have the right tools. And one of those is cognitive processing therapy. So I know what to do when certain things happen. And that's what it represented to me uh, in my healing journey, uh, a place where those traumas live. And uh, I don't have to carry them alone, allow others to open them, see them, help me carry some of that. And from this, I would like to, you know, I believe that June was Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States. I'm not positive, but I'm sure you're correct. And, you know, in light of the fact that, you know, we have people on this show, some of them are veterans, some of them are experts who will, uh, who will have their opinions on post-traumatic stress disorder and what its nature is and how to better address it. And, of course, you know, military service is always going to be difficult. It's always going to be hard. For some people, it's going to be dangerous. But I always ask I always ask anybody who has any expertise, any experience, do you think that there is something which the U.S. military could be doing to maybe better help veterans, uh, servicemen, to, to, better, to better protect them or to better help uh, help them if they've uh, suffered from this well I, I i do um i i think they do a really good job to a certain point and their resources are limited because what we're trained is small airmen marines uh you know navy army you name it is you know kind of suck it up right like we're trained that as, as an american young men and women on the ball fields and the soccer fields of the Baseball diamonds, you know, quit being a baby, sucking up. You know, so emotion is is kind of repressed from a young age as a mirror. And then we get into the service, and uh, that kind of is exacerbated a little bit. Um, but I think that really in the last decade, uh, they've come leaps and bounds. Uh, if we look back at the Vietnam veterans, they were told to repress everything. Take your uniform off. They were spit on by the American public. They were ashamed of their service, some of them, not all. Um, and that's just not right now. We see that, and it's thank you for your service. And that's lost a little bit of meaning because it's so repetitive to a lot of our, our younger uh, warriors. But what they've done is they started making a requirement, certain checkups, and that this post-traumatic distress disorder is kind of destigmatized and making making it you know okay to ask for help uh, in certain circumstances uh, but still there's that fear right i don't want to be the one i'm the helper i don't need to be you see that in the first responder fields as well the human brain was not meant to see repetitive traumas over and over and over it just wasn't and it doesn't respond well a lot of times it doesn't mean you're weak or you're soft or any of that it just means that you're 
brain is having a normal reaction to trauma. And that sometimes stays with you. And when I say normal, I mean that it wasn't meant to see this, so it's going to respond in a certain way. That's how I see it. Um, not everyone agrees with me, but I do believe that the United States military has come leaps and bounds, especially in the last decade, on treating this. And why I became involved with the program I'm in now, where's heart? Where I look currently. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off and of course i think you're exactly right that uh, the, st- the stigmatizing these traumas is very important after all we don't you know if, if somebody's physically injured from their military service if somebody has lost a limb we don't we don't shame them for having uh, lost a limb we don't uh, we, we don't say that they are weak for you know having an injury and it seems to me that if they have a, a mental health issue due to their service, we should also not diminish them for this. And uh, it's it, it's an injury of a sort which they have as a result of what they've done for us. And for this, I would like to just uh, go on about something which you've said. And you you worked with uh, different organizations with uh, which help veterans. Some of them you've received help from, and others you've volunteered with. In your book, you say that you were as a first service member in the United States to serve with a service animal, which was assigned to you. And you've you've also helped others. And you are a business development director for Warriors Heart, which, as I understand, that's an organization which assists assists veterans who are having these mental health issues from their service. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work which you do, which your organization does to assist to, to, assist, to assist fellow veterans? Absolutely. So uh, first I'd like to kind of address the first part of your question, which was talking about Dallas, my service animal. Um, so I was struggling with a lot of different symptoms uh, from conflict trauma. Um, Basically, my I would dissociate a lot. Where I would, you know, imagine driving home and then, you know, having to go through these intrusive thoughts and having to complete them, and then looking up and you're a hundred miles from your house and you're not, you have no idea how you got there. Um, that's a scary thought. So uh, that would happen to me frequently, uh, as well as uh, olfactory hallucinations where I would smell bodies anytime I had my uniform on. So I, I really thought I was going, you know, crazy. Um, and I didn't know how to hang with so I met uh, an organization called Paws and Stripes, and they helped me train my dog, Dallas, to be a service animal, and she would alert me when I would get 
my accent. She had also helped me reduce some of the cortisol stress hormones when I would have these different type of anxiety attacks. Uh, you know, because that's a scientifically proven that when you put your hand on a, on a dog, that reduces some of those stress hormones. Um, so, you know, in 2010, I was allowed to serve alongside with Dallas, cool. which to my knowledge, I was, there hadn't been a PTSD service on active duty that was recognized by the DOD to that point. So he really helped me um, get through a lot of years. And in 2013, I retired her. And this is last year she passed away. Uh, I had a walk with a service animal since 2013. I believe it was a bridge to healing and not a rare. So it really helped me during the time when I needed it. Uh, and she lived a very long, healthy life. Miss her dear. Um, that brings me to the second part of your, uh, your question about warrior's heart. So in 2017, I found, or actually 2016, I found an organization that had uh, built a facility in my hometown where, where I live, not my, where I grew up, but where I live currently, and chose to, uh, you know, put a root slot after retirement, uh, Bandera, Texas. It was a place called Warrior's Heart. I didn't know much about it. I had heard it was uh, a rehab for, uh, for warriors. Uh, and I didn't know the definition of how they, you know, Defined warriors at that was a treatment center, and I was, you know, had my jobs while I was working, it, so I didn't take much attention. I thought that's great, you know. There's a lot of veterans that can use. Um, about a year later, I met one of the founders at a softball game, uh, Lisa Lanning. Our daughters were playing softball at the high school uh, level together, and we just started talking, and that turned into a conversation about what they do. And she invited me out to see their programs. And long story short, she uh, invited me to come work with Warrior's Heart. In 2017, I I agreed and I became uh, an admissions advocate and outreach coordinator. So my job was to answer the phone when Warrior's called crisis and get them into treatment. It is a 42-day training program that treats addiction as well as co-occurring psychological disorders to include post-traumatic stress disorder, major depressive disorder, uh, military sexual trauma, you name it, the things that go along with trauma, uh, and addiction, we treat it. Um, so I started down that journey, and that was six years ago. Uh, since then, I, I was the admissions director for almost four of those years, and then recently, last year, I was transitioned over into the business development director. So my job is more aligned with the growth of our company and the, uh, the outreach to those organizations that work with us to improve the, the military, law enforcement agencies, the VAs, you name it. And uh, recently, I've been heavily involved in our expansion, and I'm happy to announce that we will be opening a new facility September 11th in Virginia. So I've been heavily involved traveling back and forth. But that's kind of a little bit about what we do. I'd be happy to answer more questions about it. And so you've, beyond your personal experience, beyond your personal trauma, you've also had quite a bit of experience assisting veterans as well. Uh, was, uh, assisting other people with search issues. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, for the last six years, my job was to assist warriors to find help and treatment. And to that point, we've had almost 2,500 warriors go through our program here in Texas. Um, these are warriors that otherwise might not have received help. Um, our program is unique and specific to their needs. Um, that's because we're the only treatment center I'm aware of that only treats that population. There's several programs that are doing great work out there that have track programs within their larger mental health programs. 
that's all we treat is military, veterans, law enforcement, first responders, and any, you know, anyone that served their community or country can consider the warmness of trial versus dispatchers, you name it, border patrol. We've seen just about all of those come through our program. It had a great success rate with uh, treating them for their addictions and their traumas. And so as somebody who has a lot of experience helping uh, helping veterans, helping uh, first responders, you know, because this is a military history show, because it's a show about military books, I don't have a, I don't I have no doubt that this, many of our listeners have their own military experience. No doubt, some of them are also carrying some burdens from their service. And so, I'd like to ask you, as, as somebody who is who is professionally involved with assisting warriors, assisting veterans, is there any advice which you want to give these people? Anything you want to tell them? to use this opportunity to provide them with some kind of uh, helpful advice. Absolutely. Thank you. That's a, that's an honor. Uh, one thing that I would tell any veteran that is struggling is don't be too quick to try to get into the helping of other veterans. A lot of times that's who we are. We're servants, right? We served our country and now I feel a little bit better so I can go help others. A lot of times we hide with hired and the helping. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm guilty raising my hand right now. Um, but along the way, if you don't help yourself, if you don't get healed, then you're not going to have anything left. And a lot of times your traumas exacerbate because then you're taking on theirs as well. So what I would say is just like they say in the airplane, put on your mask first, make sure that you're good. And then there's time to help the others. And there will always be time to help the others. But don't get too quickly. Make sure that you're good. Make sure that you have the tool um, to be able to get into a helping career. We long so much to get back to that purpose of helping others, right? Because that's what we lose when we leave the service. A lot of times you had really big job and start over after 20 years and that just doesn't sit well with us. Um, or we sit at home and we just dwell on the past and the traumas and everything. Well, we know how that ends up a lot of times. At the bottom of the bottle, or in the ground, we need to stop that cycle. So what I would say to any veteran that's listening, my most earnest advice would be, don't rush too quickly to help others. Make sure your mask is on first. That makes sense. Thank you, Justin. This is really important, really important advice. And unfortunately, I've sometimes seen people who probably should have taken this advice, all too common, and, you know, at, on this show, on this show, as I always say, we are creatures of tradition. We are, mm -hmm. we have traditional questions which we ask at the start and at the end of every show. And the question which I would like to ask you, which is, again, traditional, you know, because this is a show about books, uh, by readers, for readers, can you tell our listeners uh, what books you are reading right now? Is there something you could maybe suggest to our, uh, to our listeners? Absolutely. So we do a ton of book studies at Warriors Heart um, because we believe, like I said, that our own process and of growth and continuing in professional development is as important as the help we get 
because if we don't have enough in our cup, then we don't have enough to get. Uh, so we have to, it's a continuous professional development process. Uh, one of our favorite books is Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, and that's what we're currently reading now. Also, Rules of the Night by Ethan Hawke. Um, good and great. There's tons. But right now, our current book is Turning Pro. And that's what we read. And can you tell me a little bit more about these books? Because I've not heard of them before. Basically, yeah. So Turning Pro is a book about just becoming professional right in your life and how you uh do everything and uh ian Pressville is also the kind author for the uh, war of art um and he, he just writes in a way you know what it's like to be a professional but you know, it's uh, really easy to digest and do a book study on it because it's uh, easily to take snippets from it discuss it further um but yeah it's just about being a professional in all aspects of your life um you know, a lot of the books we study are, are easily digestible that way. It's not long paragraphs of reading. We take one page, read it, discuss it, and we really get the impact of what the author was trying to say, I believe, doing it that way. And that's part of our culture here at Warrior's Heart. Every morning meeting, we have a context, and that is we read from the book we're studying currently, and then we discuss it as a team. And every team member gets to, uh, to discuss it. It's not just for leadership. Every team member gets to discuss. And the second book which you mentioned was, I I believe, Rulers of the Night? Yeah, it's so. So Ethan Hawke wrote, wrote a small book called Rules for the Night. It's just, you know, one-pagers. Um, I think my favorite, uh, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not sure exactly what it says, but I think my favorite page in that book is a night does not need to announce that he is in um basically speaking to humility. But it's just one pagers like that, you know, that you that talks about it. And it's a it's a good because you can take snippets from that throughout your day and just work through them. You know, we talked a lot about positive affirmations. Uh, for me that's a big tool in my toolbox to help, you know, mitigate traumas and when these things come back up because uh, they do. Because life happens. Uh, and things happen where we don't Obviously, uh, your traumas come up in different ways. So if you have these tools, they're really good. Positive affirmations, these one-liners that really help me. Um, that is one of those things I remember. A knight does not, I mean, he is a knight. Basically, check your ego. And so there, there is a sort of uh, process where both reading and writing benefit a person in terms of their health, in terms of their mental health and their personal development. Absolutely. So we do a thing with our warriors called Savers, uh, and it's from the book Miracle Morning. Um, and, you know, it's a different, uh, Savers is an acronym uh, for different things. Um, one of those is scribing, right? So it exercises in there. Um, so and you'll have to forgive me. Uh, right now, the, the the actual acronym is, is escaping me. And I'm going to uh, look it up real quick. So I have it because it's something we do with our warriors every day. But scribing is very important to uh, that part of, of our uh, our recovery. So being able to write it down. Silence is the first one for S. Affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. So a couple of days a week we do that with our warriors. 
uh, and it's from the book Miracle Morning, uh, and that helps us, you know, just being in silence with ourselves for a little while, telling ourselves those positive affirmations, doing some visualization, right? Uh, visualizing what you want in life, that exercise, right? Even if it's, you know, doing squats or something, you know, leg raising, something, just getting the body moving, reading something impactful and then scribing about it and how you, uh, you, you know, so that's how we uh, work through some of that with our. So, Justin, I I would like to thank you for being on our show. A lot of the things which you've said were really enlightening to me. I hope they're enlightening also to our audience. And if you, if or when you write a second book, you're always welcome back here with us. Well, thank you. I have been working on the, uh, my second book. Uh, it's slow going, as, as most uh, would tell you. I was really, you know, the first book was kind of a passion project. I just could not wait to get it on paper. Uh, it needed to pour out of me for my healing. This one, I'm taking my time. It's going to be called Warrior Affirmations. Basically, it's kind of just daily affirmations, but with a warrior twist, a little bit more gritty, uh, a few uh, uh, harsh language words <laughs> uh, on a day-to-day basis. But I wanted it to appeal to the warfighter. Um, you know, it looked like a field manual so i've already uh publishers already agreed to get there so uh i started uh writing them down on a day-to-day basis on twitter and on an account of warrior affirmations so once i get 365 then i'll publish that in a second and as i said once you have done that you are you are welcome to do again to appear on our show you know writing books is a as a, as a strangely enough, you can. I always tell people who have written the book, you're going to want to write another one. Yeah. And right. so, thank you for thank you for being here with us today, Justin. Thank you so much for having. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.